Welcome to Ubaldi Reports. On this podcast, we will be discussing challenges faced by small business businesses in today's economy. The purpose of this podcast on Ubaldi Reports is to let the public know about the challenges faced by anyone starting a business, especially startups. Far too often, many people do not realize policies enacted by Washington have a direct impact or cost on the U.S. economy and have hindered the ability for anyone to open a startup company. The public is often unaware of the challenges small businesses endure each year. The decisions made by Washington, many with unintended consequences, have a direct impact on the U.S. economy. According to Entrepreneur Magazine, small businesses account for 60 to 80 percent of all jobs in the U.S., but face multiple challenges and do not have the resources afforded corporate America. Today's podcast will focus on the challenges faced by small business and what it takes to open up a startup company. Today's guest is a small business owner from Clearwater, Florida. On Ubaldi Reports, we have Chris Gibson in the studio today. Now, Chris is an internationally known best-selling author, TV personality, whole health entrepreneur, a.k.a. the hardest working guy in skincare who promotes natural and healthy lifestyle alternatives. Now, let's welcome Chris Gibson. How's it going, Chris? It's going good. It's great to be here. Well, it's great to have you in the studio. I mean, it's a little different to have someone in studio, but it's great to have you inside the studio today. But let's get this going. Tell us a little bit about your background and why you decided to start a or begin a startup company. Like a lot of people, I was working uh, in a career and had worked myself up through the ranks over a number of years, uh, vice president of marketing uh, in some of the telecom industry, some names people will be familiar with, GTE, which is now Verizon, AT&T, and so on, and I was getting burned out. So early in 2001, I wanted to get out of that and start doing something on my own, and one of the things I did was... I wrote training material for companies that were um, trying to market online after the dot-com bust. There was a lot of nervousness, and people were kind of weird about putting their business back out there. So what I did was I stepped in and wrote manuals and showed people how to market online successfully. So that's, that's why I did it. For like most reasons, I wanted the freedom. I wanted more control over my finance, my financial future, um, which, you know, even... At the level I was at, that was sort of a ceiling there. And I couldn't picture myself going another 20, 25 years doing that same job. So, um, you know, I reached out. Those were my goals. And I set about the business of, of starting a business. And it did very, very well. We had uh, the first five years of that business, it was double-digit growth. We doubled our business every single year. Um, and then, of course, my shifted my focus over to my passion, which is health and wellness, uh, and that really took off. So we went from uh, writing materials to writing books, then to publishing books for other people, then to my books becoming uh, very well known and becoming bestsellers, which changed our business to growing and evolving into carrying our own items based on my principles. And so we actually had a full-fledged business with customer service um, products. We brought in distribution. We did our own shipping um, and we, I would say probably by the fifth year, we were doing close to $2 million a year in business. And that's prior to the recession starting. 
So it was very easy to grow your business. Uh, there was a lot of money. There's a lot of capital available out there. Banks were constantly sending us letters wanting to loan us money. So it's a very different environment then than what we have today. So this is in the the, the 1990s, yeah. in the early 2000s? 2000 to about 2007. Okay, so what changed after 2007? Obviously, we had the financial crisis. So right. what really changed well, it was very interesting because two things happened. One, and we didn't, I think most people didn't know what was going on and didn't put two and two together, but we had this very interesting thing start to happen in 2008 with our credit lines. We had AAA credit. We had lot, about $450,000 in credit that we weren't even using. It was just sitting there. Um, so when the rumblings started to come in about you know the economy slowing down and you know at that point they thought it might just be a, a short recession, we weren't too concerned, but then we started to get these letters in the mail from the bank saying, hey, we've reduced your credit line down to like a few thousand dollars from, you know, some of them were 10, some of them were 50, some of them were 100,000, uh, down to just nothing. And we were calling the bank up going, why are you doing that? There's no, I mean, we haven't had any issues. We have great credit. Oh, we're doing this with everybody. We can do this because we're the bank. <laughs> so very interesting. I still have those letters tucked away too that we got that were like that. Uh, prior to that. So we knew something was weird, but we weren't sure what was going on. At the same time, of course, we all know what happened with gasoline went to $4 a gallon and freaked everybody out that lives paycheck to paycheck. And so people, you know, I say that kind of got lost of all the reasons with the real estate and all the things that people say created the problem. But the initial problem was that people's discretionary income disappeared. So then you have a choice. Do I go to work or do I not pay my mortgage? Do I go to work or do I not pay this bill? And that, I, to me, that's what started the domino effect of all of that. We watched people just stop spending money all of a sudden. Well, no, you make a good point because in two, I remember in 2008, the, you're right, gas prices. I lived in California and we jumped up to almost 460, 470 a gallon. And that took a lot of money, a discretionary money, yeah. out of people's pocketbook. Yeah, people went from spending a hundred dollars a month on gas to spending four and five, and that that is major. <laughs> that's a major. That's a major thing to have hit you, you know. And so people stopped spending money everywhere else. They, you know, they freaked out. And we know what happened after that. People didn't pay mortgages. Mortgages got went into default. And then that sort of revealed the fact that a lot of a lot of People had been predatory. There was a lot of predatory lending where people were being given homes and, and where they really didn't have the income to support it. So those people were the first to not pay their payments, right? Because uh, they were in a house that was really already, they were struggling to make payments on in a good economy. So everything sort of dried up and came to a grinding standstill. Um, merchant accounts, which we had, they began to act really weird too. Uh, we had a lot of merchant accounts just disappear and close. That's where you're able to take a credit card. I learned so much about my business that I didn't really want to know because of all that. Of course, now I do know it, and I'm a better business person because of it. But it really, it's still difficult. It's difficult for a person to get a merchant account to take credit cards. It's still difficult to borrow money. And that's what you're seeing now is this, it's loosened up a little bit, but it's very difficult for a person to to find any kind of capital, um, you know that's what the growth of all of these funding sources are. These independent funding sources like Fund GoFundMe and you know Kickstarter, all of, Kickstarter, all of those came about because people couldn't borrow money from the bank. So you know what? Why not go to my customers? That's how that started, actually. Now, the, when you mentioned earlier, you said the banks would send you 
you know, they letters. Yeah. Well, I mean, what they're saying, they would send you letters saying, we're going to drop your credit line. Yeah. Now, I'm going to go into another part of this when it talks about for startup getting capital. Are we talking the major banks, the Wall Street banks that really got involved no, in startup? All, all the banks were like that. I mean, it was, you know, and it was, you know, Bank of America, we had credit with them, Chase. We had credit, all the ones you heard about in the in the debacle, Wells Fargo actually folded uh, that particular business section or their business component uh, of lending folded, and we we had loan we had, didn't we had some loans we had a, we had what's called asset based lo- based loans where we had equipment that we you know it was like a lease back type of thing. So there was a lot of creative ways to get money, and they were very. Um, it just seemed like any time we needed money, we could walk in the bank and sign a sheet of paper, and we'd have ten thousand in the bank or whatever we needed, and then we would pay it back. So we had a really good credit history too. So, but if you can't borrow in the first place, it's difficult to build a credit history. You know what I mean? So, and it's so now that's why why it's hard because it's they want you to have a certain amount of credit. I have a my old business partner does business lending uh, that's based on merchant receipts that people get. Uh, and the percentage, the interest rates are still high, and that's even if you have a good credit score over seven hundred. That's even if you have, you know, you're doing over a hundred thousand dollars a year, which is a small business. Um, you have to have no negatives in your bank account. You can't have like, you know, with all the transactions, you can't have anything that like didn't go through or bounce or got had to get paid a second time. No flaws, and so it's still very difficult to get money, even. When you can get it, and you have all of the, you have the cash flow, you have the amount per year that the annual. You've been in business five years. You've done all those things. It's still very expensive. The interest rates are ridiculous, considering it costs to make nothing <laughs> to do the money <laughs> to borrow the money for you. So the zero and one, one less than one percent interest rates for them. You know, you're still talking nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen percent interest on business loans today to people. That's a lot of money. Well, it's interesting that you say that because you're saying that prior to the financial collapse, it was easy to get credit. And you got great interest rates. And you got great interest rates. Now, when they, after the financial crisis, and especially after Dodd-Frank, which was, I understand why they passed it, was to curb the excess of the big banks and Wall Street. But you know what the big banks did, right? They turned around and put all these rules in place for us. So, for instance, we own a building still that we managed to get through the recession with. We have to supply them every month with a P&L. We have to supply them every quarter with a quarterly report with our personal financial information. We have to give all of that stuff to the bank, even though the loan's already been secured and we're making the payments. We still have to give them financial information every month. Well, it's interesting because there's been various reports. Like I know one of them is the Harvard School of Government issued a report back in February of um, of this year, and they talked about this thing with Dodd Frank's. Now, I understand Dodd Frank was trying to curb the financial abuses, but like you said, it had an unattended consequences. It went after the small regional banks, who really impact small. And that's, yeah, that's who we have our business. Our building is is uh, our building note is through a, a regional bank, and yeah, they. I mean, it's they get you know they have to have it. That's part of the requirement for them. And exactly. And so now when lawmakers talk about we want to curb even more, this really impacts small business because even the Brookings Institute and was it Inc. Magazine just recently came out with small business or entrepreneur is at a record low. Yeah. 
And these are six, because like I people are, they get in there and they look at it and it doesn't look like it's worth it to them or they can't find the initial capital they need. Well, I would think that's because that's where I'm facing. I'm sure you're facing in many small businesses that I've talked to. Capital growth is hard to get. Yeah. Business has always been built on your, your idea plus other people's time and other people's money. I mean, that's what you do is you take that and you turn it into something that pays you and pays them back. So they make money off their money. So when that chain is broken and it's, you know, the banks aren't making, that's why you've just seen no movement. It's sort of like a catch 22. You know, if you don't have people borrowing from you and paying you back with width, you're not spreading your risk. So your risk is very narrow. And we see that, you know, still that's what happened with the, you know, the automakers. That was the same type of thing. They were the whole little joke is too big to fail, not such thing. You know what I mean? Numbers are just they are what they are with zeros tacked after them. So, you know, you can mess up at ten dollars and you can mess up at ten million. It doesn't really well, there's no difference if you're not managing things correctly and with everything locked up the way it has been, people can't borrow at a reasonable rate to do the things they need to do to expand so they can hire so that they can turn up the volume of their business and scale. And it's a word we hear a lot now. Everybody's having difficulty scaling their business, which means making it larger. And they sort of hit these glass ceilings. And, well, but know, that's the case. I mean, you are hitting So it. Right. And so what happens is initially, eventually, and, and what we've continued to see is people, in order to raise money, have to raise what? Prices. Or they have to you know, add hours to the work you know, that people are doing. They, they don't give raises. They have to squeeze that out somewhere else in order to make the advancements and pay their taxes and do all the things that you have to do when you own a business. So. But see, but that, you make a good point, though. I mean, if you're trying to raise cap and you're trying to grow your business, you have to – it has un, unintended consequences. Businesses are business. You can raise your prices so much, but then you're not, then comp you're not competitive, competitive so, with somebody yeah. else. So, so that, again, it's like a catch-22. People, It's just kind of been very sluggish. And hopefully we'll see that change, you know, over the, the coming years because eventually – Unfortunately, it just takes a long time sometimes for the truth or what the effects of something to get in front of people. And right now we've been in such a – our government's so partisan and so so gridlocked that they're not even looking at that stuff yet. You know, they're well, still see, trying to pass legislation well, man, that but, doesn't even have – won't impact us positively in the business sector at all. But None see, I also think it also has another aspect of this. I know we have such a partisan between the Republicans and Democrats – and I understand, like, well, Hillary Clinton made her economic plan, and she wants to go further than Dodd-Frank, and then Republicans come out with their things. But a lot of these lawmakers have never run a business. So when they talk business, and I think people look at business in a wrong prism. They see corporate America as all businesses. And going back, like I said, when I first started the intro, is 60 to 80% of all businesses in America, small business, typically... 50 or 60s employees or less, right. and these are middle-class individuals. So when Washington wants to punish, let's say, like Chase or Wells Fargo or Bank of America, they have an unintended consequences. They're slamming the regional businesses. Right. Excuse me, the regional banks. Like, I know, like, we're in Florida, and I've talked to a banker. They have a whole section that deals with just loans to farmers, health care. But the big banks don't have that. That's right. And they're not concerned about us. 
But what other challenges did you face beyond just the capital? Because you had two periods. You had the prior to the financial collapse and then after the financial collapse. Well, it's why I tell people, it, and I work with a lot of people. I do a lot of consulting with people on their marketing plans for their businesses. Um, and it's this up and down thing that we have now. It's like you can't get any momentum. You can get, it's like there's always something that's going, you have to kind of plan on something going wrong everywhere. Before you felt somewhat stable with your bank, you felt somewhat stable with your merchant processing, you felt somewhat stable with your workforce, somewhat stable with your uh, distributor, or your, your lab, or whatever you're using to create your products. And now it seems like that you get a little bit of movement and then something falls apart somewhere. It's like it you can't seem to, to get that ongoing momentum that you need day after day, week after week, where your business is has some sort of stability. Um, well, you don't get that. You're, what you're saying is you're not getting that traction. As yeah, soon as you get that yeah. traction to move ahead, say, say, something's say you start to make a lot of money, then your merchant account freaks out because suddenly you've gone from making you know $1,000 a day to, you know, $15,000 a day in a hurry and it's like whoa you know it's all of this risk stuff that's been built in really makes it difficult for you to like jettison or jettison on it. it's all today is about redundancy <laughs> you know extra bank accounts extra merchant processing extra this extra that to make sure that if something stops working you have a backup where we never had to do that before we didn't have to have all these backups we didn't have to have two and three of everything set up which means it's a lot more hassle to manage because now you have to like you know manage mm -hmm. more things but you come out it's like being burned in a fire once you've been burned once your business has been stopped dead because a merchant processor decided they don't like what you do or they don't want to do it anymore you know we had merchant processors just stop they, they went out of business so you're like well now i can't take credit cards i can't even take make a sale you know and it takes weeks to get one of those set up and get approved and all this stuff so it really be, has become about redundancy and trying to have backups so that your business doesn't stop cold if a bank decides they want to send you a letter and reduce your credit line or if your merchant processor decides they don't want to do business with your type of business anymore. You know, they're getting out of whatever it is you're doing, car parts. They don't want to do car parts anymore. Uh, and, and I know that this is true, too, from the banking standpoint because, again, I have a business partner who does business lending uh, and the banks have the their businesses. They won't. They're like there's some banks that won't loan money to lawyers. It's gotten very weird. Do you know what I mean? It's very weird. Well, so but, they have to try to find a lender that will lend to lawyers, even though a lawyer may make five hundred thousand dollars a year, and even though they may have great credit, and even though they've been in business a long time. That particular bank and merchant, they just don't like to work with lawyers. It's weird. It's but see weird. that. But that goes back to. One thing you said earlier, business is all about risk. I mean, you took a risk. I took, there's no guarantee that your business is going to make it. But when you can't get the capital you need, so that means you got to squeeze somewhere else. You, like I said, we said, you can raise your price, but you're going to be uncompetitive with somebody else. Right. So then you got to find another way. Well, let's limit employees. Instead of full-time, we'll go to part-time. Right. Let's limit... Um, raises we've got to keep you at this we'll maybe just tweak the raise up a few cents or pennies because you need that capital to expand that business right. and some businesses just aren't growing i have a friend who's a trucking owns a trucking company he's getting hit on the regulations coming from the epa he's getting hit on the regulations coming from the affordable care act he's getting hit on regulations coming from dodd frank 
So all these impact. Yeah, like headwinds that you have to try to overcome. It's and difficult. sometimes, why would you, if you're seeing, I'm sure you talk to people, I talk to people, why would anybody want to start a business in this environment where you have to take all your own capital beyond just, they got to go to your personal savings, you have to use credit card, but that's not a way to go. No. To expand that because business. Because then you end up hurting your own your credit. The one thing that you have that they require. You know, it's like, again, it's like a catch-22. If you do all that stuff in your own name and you, you're you using your own credit, then you run the risk of lowering your credit score, which puts you out of puts you out of the ability to borrow. It's just, it's really weird. Right so now, now with all this said, what do you think Washington, because this is a big issue. I mean, um, Hillary I think I think they're going to address it. I think it has to be addressed because... It's such a large piece of the engine, and it's not working well, and they know it's not working well, and they all have their ideas about what to do for it. But I, but it'll only go so long. When, when someone's analyzing that and sees the tax revenue that's missing from the economy and sees the growth that's missing from that sector, because you can't rely, you can't go back and rely on the things that failed, like the real estate and all that stuff. So I think no matter what happens, that's an issue that over the next... I would say probably the next six to eight years is going to have to be addressed. And the one thing this country does do well is that it does puts all this stuff, knee jerk stuff out, and then it goes back and kind of corrects it. Correct. Correct. <laughs> it yourself. just takes what you just have to wait it out. And the, the unfortunate thing is a lot of people this happened to were retirement age. So their focus has been, you know, a lot of people re- entered the workforce that were really technically done with that um, and making a lot less money. Um, because they're not the jobs that pay, you know, they're, they're, you've got new educated people coming out that are obviously going to take a lot of the jobs that pay well. And then you've got people trying to make up the losses that they had from the recession that are older. And now their focus is no longer about necessarily lifestyle. It's just living, you know, being able to pay their bills till the end of what's see, this challenge is not just the young coming up. Cause in that report on Inc magazine that I mentioned earlier, Young people who are, let's say, graduated college, they typically maybe want to start a business. But then now they're saddled with $30,000 on average for student loan yeah, debt. They're going to have all of those things are hooked together. And, and, and I think the student loan debt, they are, they are aware of that. And I think that there's, again, the biggest problem right now is there's so much gridlock. None of these things that would really make a difference and free up uh, some movement in that area are being addressed right now. So it's until we get past this. I think this my prediction is until we get past the elections and all of that shakes out, are we going to see any kind of movement? Well, but see, that's when I go back to Ubaldi reports. That's what I've always wanted to do. This isn't a Republican or Democratic thing. I just wanted to, you know, I mentioned Hillary Clinton on this because she did give her economic speech. But I just want the media and everybody to challenge the candidates when they make these announcements. I want to do this. Well, how does it play out and how are you going to implement this? Right. Like when she made the comment about Dodd-Frank, we're going to go beyond Dodd-Frank. Well, Dodd-Frank's rules are still yet to be written, a lot of it, and it's really hurting. Well, yeah, they're not having, you know, that's what you don't see, and this is what I'm talking about. Because of the way things are right now, you're not seeing the committees come in and bring business people in to talk about what they're, you're not, they're not even doing that right now. They're not even looking at those things and having people come talk about that. So until we get out of this, and this has happened before. It was like this at the end of the 80s. You know, it was very crazy. 
we'd had the savings and loan thing was the problem then and it was all this knee jerk stuff and interest rates on houses were 9% because I know that's when I bought my first one <laughs> at 9% interest. You know, I mean, we've been there before. So it just takes time. It, you have to change people out. That's just it. People have to get out of there. The gridlock has to, the, the tone and the focus has to change. And until you've got people fighting over stuff that's already been passed, I mean, this is, they're not paying attention to the, the current thing. Well, no, I know the tone has to change because I worked yeah. at a political consulting firm and it was, it's, got it's very polarizing. And I think the other problems, look who's running, not just for president, but on the congressional levels, it's always somebody who's never really had a business background. And sometimes they don't understand the plight well, of the small right. business and guy. And that has to change. Yeah, if they, and, and that's what I mean. If you've got... If you've got government who will run to the last minute and default on things, that's the same thing as a person doing that. So you've got to have that. That's got to change. That whole attitude and mentality, the government is a business. There is a piece to that that is a fiscal, financial entity that has to be solvent, has to be able to address the concerns of the people, and has to be able to reach out to businesses, which is, again, the big chunk of the engine, and write that ship a little, you know, it's not that you can't do a business and be successful. People do, but it seems like today you have people that do these really high, high, high success or they don't succeed. You don't have that middle, correct middle ground where people are, are stable and growing their business the way it should be. Like you should, if you're in business and you take care of your customers and you pay your bills on time, you should naturally attract more customers over time, even just through word of mouth, even if you didn't advertise. So that's that's what I'm saying. You can advertise and try to take care of your customers, but there always seem to be a fly anointment somewhere that like stops you short, you know. Or your distributor, they're out of stuff because they couldn't get the capital they needed. You know, it affects well, we're, everybody. But, but we're seeing all this through, and I think you're right. Something's got to change. Or it will change because I mean, it's like I said, when it starts to hit the pocketbooks, when somebody actually takes their head out of the stuff they're looking at and looks at what's being lost every year. And what's not being generated, that's the money on the table, as it's, so to speak. This is the way politicians like call it. Money on the table that's not being picked up. It will change. When somebody weighs the revenue flag and says, hey, you know, we could be bringing in $80 billion more a year if we changed a few things. So, But until that happens, you just have to, like, try to be creative. <laughs> well, you I mean, you have to be creative and you have to be the fortitude or the stick, uh, stick-to-itness. You have to do that. But it's... It's kind of ironic. We're the best economy on the planet right yeah. now. Yeah. And I mean, that's not, not everything real. we do is wrong. I mean, and some of the things that have been. Um, well, the point I was bringing with that, if we're the best and we've got this hidden problem, we're seeing what's going on in Europe with Greece. We're seeing what's going on in China with the speculative of their, their stock market and their real estate. We're the best and we still have this untapped resource of small business that just can't grow. Yeah. So, and, and that's what I'm saying. That will get addressed. I do believe that. I just think it, until we get past this, I mean, it's crazy already, and we're not even in 2016 yet. So oh. it's going to be crazy. And until whoever gets their lumps gets their lumps and gets the message, and things get cleared out, and they set about doing some new business, then it's not going to change. Well, the- and I saw that, and it really doesn't matter to me. I, I go out on limb and say it doesn't really matter often what party gets the White House because it's just the fact that everything has changed. That someone gets in there with a new, you know what I mean? With a new, it's, it's like a clean slate. 
So they start to look at the things. What can I do, you know, for my legacy to make things work better and look better? And I think that's, you know. Well, maybe whoever becomes the next president in 2000, when they take office in 2017, starts to look at the analysis and really takes it. I think what you're saying is not take a partisan analysis to it. Takes an objective look at hey, we could be raising bills, that's where billions and there, and there are people on both sides of the fence talking about that. Correct. You can hear it. It's just that with all of this focus on repealing this and getting that not, you know, and it's just craziness. So until all of that partisanship gets Correct. out of there, or at least some of it, where the things can start to move, then then you'll see that start to, and that's going to, a lot of, there's a lot of things that are, that are part of that, you know, the whole immigration thing is a big part of that because if you take those and give those people a pathway to citizenship, what are they going to want to do? Start a business. So, or even the other side yeah. is not just yeah, the, we don't want to make people citizens and then have no work for them. Do <laughs> you know what I mean? So, well, it's but even crazy. even besides that, when you mentioned immigration, to have a comprehensive immigration reform where you're bringing individuals from around the world who have the experience, the knowledge, the education right. coming here to start those businesses. Because a lot of businesses... And that's what we had in the 90s. I mean, we, we had did. a lot of people from India. We had a lot of people from Russia come here. Some of my friends, that's when their families moved here. So we just have to get out of this. It's a fog. It's like a big fog that you're in. And hopefully, whoever gets whatever seat and whoever gets whatever gets the White House, there'll at least be a a reason to look at things fresh. <laughs> well, they do, but this is also the American people need to, um, they need uh, yeah, to understand. You have to, you have to complain. You have to, be, you have to be noisy. Well, you have to be noisy, but you got to challenge your leader or even those who support you, you support their, your, uh, you support this party or that party or this candidate or this candidate. When they make an assumption, like when one candidate says, I'm there for the middle class, what does that mean? Or when yeah, one party what exactly do you mean you're yeah, exactly and when you one, press them for answers and right yeah. now what we're seeing is just a lot of hot air out of everybody yeah and not everybody's just, for this group that's going to vote you know and well mass and, but but not year. even just to pick on the Democrats because that was a talking point from the Democrats but for the Republicans when they make a comment of I'm going to retake exactly, America yeah, exactly what the, the heck thing. does that yeah, mean what does it mean because it's it well, again I saw on both sides that's all you're seeing right now it's just a lot of uh, until you get um, through the prime, you know, till you get the people picked that are going to be actually you're running, you're going to hear all this stuff. That oh makes yeah, no they're going to go back back nuts. and forth. But that said, with the political side, how is your business? Because you said you were in the healthcare industry, and I know it's changed over the years. Well, how has your business changed? Maybe let's say in the, the '90s or to the 2000s. How has it changed now? Well, I think the biggest difference is. I lived in a state where there was um, health care assistance that was generated from, you know, their lottery system and all that. So they're having an elderly parent and having that in place plus Medicare, she was taken very well care of. So I saw that work well, that system. Now we have a nationalized system, uh, which in the states where they already had something like that that was working well didn't have a negative impact but in states that did not aren't set up that way um that's where you run into the <laughs> the issues with how Correct. to fund everything do we depend on the federal government to fund bottom line is people should have access to health care no one should ever be turned away from hospital that's just my my opinion um is it better right now well and i think access is better quality necessarily not 
Um, control over your own healthcare, that's a big concern. You know, being able to be in charge of that, because I teach that to people, that even if you go to a doctor, you need to ask questions, you need to do research, you need to get second opinions, you need to understand mm -hmm. what problem you're really having and see all sides of it. And oftentimes people um, abdicate their power to someone Correct. who's an expert. So for me, what I what I seen is there is there was a, the thought that once people had access to healthcare overall, that people like me that did holistic health and alternative health and inclusive inclusionary health, where you're using both medical um, and medicines, but you're also using holistic and natural thought that would dry up and go away because, Oh, well now everybody can go to the doctor. Well, you still got to pay for it. Correct. You know, that didn't change. So no, it hasn't. And actually it's increased people looking at taking charge of their own health. Well, I mean, you and, make, but see, you make a good point. Now I swim every day and a lot of the, um, the individuals at the pool I go to at the YMCA, they're into this holistic, non-traditional medicine. Like, do we need to take a medicine to feel better? Maybe if we eat healthier, right. we take this. There's a lot, almost like the Eastern philosophy toward medicine. I'm not saying... Yeah, it's more inclusionary. People, you, people have seen the generation that I'm in and the one you know, that's coming up have seen what long-term medicine does to people. They've lost parents and grandparents where the medicine actually took them out. You know, they helped them live through the disease, but it was the thing that, that's the same thing with my parent. My mother passed away from the effects of medications that she was on that were supposed to help her with the disease that she had. So well, people you have seen that. So that now they're paying a little more attention, attention, you know, to like, maybe I don't want to be on those drugs because I've seen, I have a frame of reference, whereas before, my mother's generation did not have that frame of reference. This is the, that's the generation where they came up with something for polio, you know, vaccines for everything. Things that for that generation that's in their 70s, 80s, and 90s now, they saw all of this medicine, the power of that really changed things. So their mindset is a little different than people who have seen people take medication. Well, you know, you make a good point because my father died at 92. And he had a stroke at his last year of his life, and he passed away a few months later. Well, the doctor asked us, because he had a high sodium count in his system, mm -hmm. what is your dad eating? Well, we never paid attention. Goes, oh, he eats healthy. But then when we really analyzed what he was eating, it was a high sodium diet, a lot of processed foods. Did he really need to take the high cholesterol medicine that he was given? Maybe they just need to alter his what, diet, yeah. what he was eating. So I've learned to eat healthier, stay away from sodas. I don't smoke, drink, and all that other stuff. So that is, I think you're right, is going to impact this generation as we move forward. Yeah, because it's not everybody's as quick to be about the about the pill, and that's what I saw when I put my book out on skincare, all natural holistic methods for skincare. It took off, and it surprised us. I mean, I knew it would do okay, but it surprised us how many people were interested in that. Not just here, but all over the world, and that's because of what we see. Now, the other thing that happened was about almost 20 years ago, the the Food and Drug Administration made sure that medications that were advertised on television listed the side effects. So mm. now you have these really pretty music with the flowers, and they're playing, you know, and they're listing all the benefits, and then they list all the side effects, including death. So you know, it's like. People are a little more educated if they pay attention to that. They may not want to 
you know, these certain effects have been reported in people. So people are, people are a little more, that was a good thing. Well, it was a good thing, but I think you made a point earlier is my parents' generation believed whatever the doctor said. Yeah, because they were magicians. They came in and cured all these things. Polio, like... You know, we had vaccines for measles so, all of a sudden, all of this stuff. But see, today's generation is almost questioning, well, do I need to take that? Is it an alternative yeah. that's healthier? Right, People, and then you had the whole MRSA thing with antibiotics. That was a huge thing 10 years ago where they started having the hospitals, the superbugs, you know, from the magician gave you the, the cure, but now it doesn't work anymore we have superbugs. So, yeah, a lot. there's a lot different mindset with this stuff now. So now, what other you do? The, you do a health uh, a healthy skincare line. Is there other things in your um, healthcare repertoire that you? I talk about everything. I talk about everything from childhood obesity to um, you know middle aged spread, <laughs> you know weight <laughs> loss, all of those things. I talk about uh, GMO. I talk about all, just all of the, anything that would impact a person's health from the standpoint of physical activity and diet. And product use. Now, is this strictly just from um, from your book, or you have it's, a website? It's, uh, it's my my blog, which is uh, Chris Gibson, the Natural Expert, um, is all about different things like that. I mean, it's it's very wide. But then I have books out on those subjects. I have okay. acne free in three days for acne people that have skin issues. I have rapid weight loss by the numbers, which is a no frill. You know, it's all mathematical. It tells you exactly what you need to do, and it's no fluff. No now, all fact. this stuff, when you talk about your skincare line, is that manufactured in the United States? Yes, everything that... So you are if, creating American jobs. Yes. Yeah, yeah. We did not send our product creation overseas. We have a lab in California. And um, so, yes, we were, that was one of the things I never trusted anything coming from overseas. But I'm China. not saying, yeah, because that's where a lot of skincare products are actually made. <laughs> the, the formulas are made here, patented here, but they make them over, over there. there. So, so I so yours is strictly made by Americans in yes. California manufacturing yeah. place. So remember That's that, right. listeners. He, it's made in America. Yeah, yeah. You're supporting people in their jobs here. So, um, so yeah. I mean, I, my whole approach is, uh, if it doesn't really matter what what area you pick to work on, and this is what I've seen, people come to me with health issues and that kind of stuff. But once they get one area working, they'll often tend to look at the other areas, like their financial situation. Their jobs, where they you know, once you start to clean up one area, you tend it to makes, you tend to keep going. Yeah, you never so, stop. You want to yeah. you want to make so sure it really doesn't matter where you start that you start. Now, how do you see the future of? I know we touched on it. How do you see the future of holistic medicine, healthy? Product? It, it'll be include. There will be your diehard, you know, AMA specialists and all that with their medicines and their you know, gadgetry and all of that stuff. But I think you'll also have the inclusionary physicians, which is what we're seeing a lot more of now where they try to balance the person's emotional health, their physical health, their diet. I mean, you know, we had, we had doctors 15 years ago telling people vitamins didn't, didn't help you, you know? (laughs) So now we, you know, even though vitamins were introduced because of scurvy and things that were going on, you know, so it's, it's weird how you have to kind of like get past the chatter. So I see kind of a balance I see people making better choices. I really, really love the pushback on genetically modified organisms. I mean, people just don't want that. And so we understand we've got to feed everybody around the world, but we don't want altered products that have pesticides built into them. But see, but that's changed. But see, even then it's changed. I mean, I go to the grocery store and now you're seeing... I mean, you're right. Before it was was all of that. Now you're seeing more grocery stores... 
buying um, healthy products like free-range chickens yeah. or beef, well, yeah, whatever. Because we've seen whether we we know the effect that has on it, and so diet has a huge effect in your choices. It all comes back to choices with people. Correct. So you those just, little bitty choices you make every day that create your life. That's in your money. That's in your diet. That's in your how much you exercise, how you feel, how much sleep you get. Those are all choices. So basically, you just it's just the choices you make. Yeah. But it, but I also see the changing of this this field. I mean, I talk to many people, like especially the young people growing up today, they don't want any of this junk stuff. They want natural. Yeah. There's and always a natural. Well, they're, they're, they're much more educated, and every generation hopefully is more educated. Correct. So, you know, they're much more much more likely to look at the label. We just need to get rid of the obesity problem in America. Yeah, well, that's overindulgence again, a choice. <laughs> <laughs> there's plenty of choices. Yeah. yeah. So going back to what we originally talked about, we've seen the growth of this industry that you're involved in, but what can Washington do or how, what can Washington do to fix some of these problems so we can really, one, help small business and help grow yeah, your business? I think the biggest thing is they need to bring back the strength of the, the Small Business Administration. That needs to be in place. It was a very useful resource. They had uh, incubator groups in cities, all of that stuff just dried up, you know, when this all took place. And I think that needs to be reinvigorated and re reformulated with today's technology because a lot of people are lacking. That's the other thing. When people go to start a business, if they're over a certain age, they run into the technology wall. Mm. They don't understand how social media works. They don't. So there's, there's some new things that need new, new classes that need to be available to teach people how to better advertise their business and better socialize what they do because that seems to be lacking too. Well, no, I, I think you agree. I learned a lot when I started my business because mine's an internet-based business. But social media, I think most people understand social media. And I even think today's generally understand it. They, they're more involved in it than I was. But I think the big problem is doing it for personal use is one thing. Doing right, it for a business, the, 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 that has that, to change. All of that needs to be reinvigorated. That support needs to be there. You know, this... Small business administration backed loans for a long time for a lot of people. That's how you got capital. A bank would lend to you because it was a guaranteed loan if you failed. You could have one of those in your lifetime and screw up and be forgiven. You know, and, and they were not big loans. These were small. Used well, small. most startup 10, companies. 10000 and less. Yeah, but most startups so, don't need a yeah, lot of big Banks were, were willing to, to do that. So a lot of that needs to be looked at again and put back in place so that there is some sort of support. Um, because then, I never got much use out I of this. I think what you'll see... I think you are seeing the coming of age for the credit unions and the regional banks. I think those will be the ones to step in and really begin to do that. We're seeing that even with our building, whereas two or three years ago, they wouldn't work with us on anything. Now they're like looking at how can we, how can we structure your loan? It's renewing so that you guys are, cause our rent levels are lower than they used to be. You know, we used to make money on that building and now it's, we put money in all the time to make sure it meets so the bank's recognizing that's not a long-term solution, no. you know, and it, it needs upkeep and it needs a new, you know, things need so that the value, the appraised value stays there. So it's starting to loosen up a little bit at that level. It's a very different, but I have to tell you, even in the bank, the people that we were dealing with are gone and it's new people. So, you know what I mean? It's a new, it's a just, new way of looking at things. But you, the part that you mentioned, like the Small Business Administration, it, they I think they're in a bygone era. They always teach you about here's how you write a business plan. Yeah, that's what I said. That I, needs to be revitalized. I think it, it really needs to be brought to date. And then now in the Tampa area, you're seeing a lot of these incubator groups starting to start up. 
But I think the biggest problem that going back to what we started at the beginning, as even I faced that, is getting the capital you need to yeah. grow your business because you don't make money right off yeah. the gate. And it's gonna it's just gonna take a take time for that to loosen up, I think. And it I think we'll loosen up because they need to loan the money to make the money they need to make to grow. Well, I think so. once they loosen that up and once they analyze the data that small businesses because Brookings mentioned it last year, the um, a bunch of all of the different business magazines and Brookings is not a is a progressive liberal think tank and they're seeing they're not trying to paint liberals as bad on on business because conservatives are just as bad as as well. There are good ones in and each there's of those, a, and, and there are bad ones. ones but they recognize that small business startups, entrepreneurs are at its lowest level, and they mention some of the issues. But a lot of it has to do with regulation and the capital. You've got to get capital to grow your business. There's no way to expand it, and you can only tap into your personal resources for so long. And then you you just run into that wall. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's going to have to loosen up, and until then, everybody's just going to have to be creative and use GoFundMe and Kickstarter and all the other things. I mean, that's what happens. People find a way around stuff. They do. You know, and that they found a way around that, and you know, it's just like we found a way around having to get a product to a person to get them into your store by using the internet to sell. You know. That's only been like that for like 20 years. But what you're years. also doing, so. everybody's going to find a, round, a way around something. Yeah. If you're dedicating, you can hang on. But how many businesses just fall through the wayside because they just can't get And that's it. what I'm saying. It's going to take, take someone looking at that data finally and talking about it. And I think that's probably not going to happen until after the elections are over. I think then they'll start to look at some of this stuff. Because we can only have fodder over the past so long. No, well, you <laughs> we can can't. only squabble and argue about stuff. Every month that goes by, those things get further and further away. I mean, this is 2009, 10, and into 11 we're talking about. We're going into 16. 15. So how long do you want to drag that with you? Well, but see, think about the election is in November 2016. The next president takes office 2017, January. Yeah. Give him about six months to put his economic... So now you're really talking about mid-summer, two years yeah. from now. And in the meantime, I am seeing some difference in the banking industry on this. So it's they probably know that's coming. So we'd probably rather do it themselves and be told how to do it. <laughs> you know correct, I mean? so that's, correct. I just think it's just it's it's just going to be time for a reaction. You know, it's all a knee-jerk. A lot of the stuff was put in place as a knee-jerk reaction, and it worked. I mean, the world didn't, the lights didn't go out, and the world no. implode and go up in smoke like everybody was telling everybody was going to. No, but... You know, we're going to be using gold to pay for our stuff. Everybody buy gold, you know. I, I was telling my business partner, I heard that crap in the 80s, okay? I said, quit listening to these people on the TV telling you that. People were digging people up and taking their gold out of their mouth back in the in the early 80s because of the correct. same stuff. I'm like, yeah, just, you're not going to be using gold to part. You're not going to no, be living... No. You're not going to be in a hovel. It just, it's just <laughs> raising your tomatoes and paying people with gold. That's just not going to happen. It's just going to take time yeah. to get this off track. But I think people need to realize no. what small business. That's the lifeblood. You know, the frustration level, you know, I always say it, it's, it's a relationship. That's a relationship business people have with the people that are in charge of things. And when that frustration level is high enough and you're frustrated enough, then you'll start to push back on it. It's like anything. It just sometimes it takes people like now we're talking about it, you know, 
because it's frustrating. It is frustrating. So, I mean, I'm so. frustrated. You're trying to grow your business so I can hire people. And being a veteran, yeah. I want to hire veterans for my business, but I can't because I can't get the capital I need to grow the business just like you or other businesses are struggling. So, but finally, for the last part, how can people find out about your products, your book, your All you gotta do is Google me. (laughs) And there's two of us. There's Chris Gibson, the Senator from uh, New York State, which I'm not. Okay. (laughs) And then there's me, Chris Gibson, um, which you'll find me on, if you type in Chris Gibson skincare or acne or health or books or anything like that, you're gonna find me. And then, of course, I have my blog, which is The Natural Expert, Chris Gibson, the natural expert.com. And then, uh, again, you can just Google that stuff. You don't have to spell it right, and I come right up. You'll find me. All right. Well, I've, well, Chris, it was a pleasure having you on Ubaldi Report, and we learned a lot from small business to what's going on with the economy, politics, which I kind of like. God knows why, but I do. Mm-hmm. And what It's we interesting. Can, it is interesting, but we shared some things how we can – what businesses go through. I think people got a really good appreciation what small businesses go through in today's economy. Now, for my listeners, I have a book called The New Business Brigade. You can find that at um, um, Barnes & Noble, any of the major bookstores, or on Amazon. It's a print copy and also a Kindle, or if you have a tablet, you can grab it from there. If you sign up on iTunes and Stitcher, it's free. Sign um, Sign up. Tell me what you think of this podcast. What are some of the things you want to hear or listen to? And we will uh, cover those topics. But thank you for coming on Ubaldi Reports. And we want to thank Chris Gibson for being on the show. And thank you for bringing all your um, concerns and issues. And good luck in your business. All right. Thanks. All right. Well, thanks a lot. Keep listening to Ubaldi Reports.